This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. I'm Ewa Messer. I'm the producer and host of Poured Over. And Saeed Jones, you know this guy's name. You know him, you know him, you know him. <laughs> He's one of my favorite humans on the planet. And he even deigned to join me in the studio today, which, as you can tell, guys, this is such a small space. <laughs> This is not, oh my, we are so far from If you glam. want some one-on-one time, uh, this is right, it. Right, this is what you do. You have a podcast and you invite people whose work you adore. Um, Alive at the End of the World is the new, I don't even know which camera I'm looking at. I, you know what? This is just going to be messy. This is going to be totally messy because it's all about the words. When yes. you're talking to a poet and you're talking to a memoirist, it's all and about the And this book is about the mess. Yeah. So this is a this book is perfect. That, that celebrates. <laughs> I know. I was showing you. Before I was showing you yeah. how I read. That's this how I read. Praise. That's totally how I read. Wow. Okay, I'm gonna peek. Uh huh. By all means, Ooh. there are some editorial comments about some people I who show up in your past. Love that. Oh, that's so exciting. Okay. Okay. So it. alive at the end of the world, though, yes. and I just this jacket, these Thank words. You. I love this book, and you know this. I mean, I've been excited about all of this for a really long time, but I actually want to start with the notes. At the back of the book, because mm-hmm. they're intense. Yeah. I was not expecting them. <laughs> it's like you gave me a key to the work. Uh-huh. And that's a little... Di- You've had notes before. Yes. But not like this. So can we just... Let's go to page 77 for a uh-huh. second. And let's talk about why you put these notes. Yeah. Where you did I and mean, what you did. A few reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, one, I wanted to embody... Both the chaos and, you know, a lot of the phenomenon of what we're living through. Right. You know, like repetition. Right. Um, for example. Or, you know, you don't, we don't get to decide when the world and all of this chaos intrudes. You know, you're in the middle of, of dinner and you get a push notification that can totally send you spinning and, and upend everything. And so I thought, oh, you know, I like the idea. Like someone finishes the book and they're like, oh, okay, that was great and I've taken it all in and then they're like oh let's check out the notes and the notes become an experience onto themselves <laughs> you know yeah. like they're, they're yeah. like shook in a different way and and because you're not expecting that because notes are usually pretty staid you know mm-hmm. oh this poem was inspired by a title from the root like you know that I, I wanted to like upend that <laughs> which I appreciate but also you talk about an early poem in Alive at the End of the World that's not snow, it's ash. Yeah. And you call it the sort of gentle, unexpected heart of the collection. Mm-hmm. And it's a great poem, but I'm not sure I would have identified it as the heart. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you're letting me in yeah. a little more than usual. So yes. let's start there. Yeah. Let's start with that poem. Um, in, in, in part, but do you want me to read it? Yes, it's please. Short. Totally. This is so exciting. I'm, this collection <laughs> is spectacular. The world needs this book. <laughs> That's not snow, it's ash. You are no singer, but one night, a song is stolen from you, never to be returned. The loss is like a dream about your lover, burned alive. In the morning, he mumbles, making breakfast, favorite mug in hand, fine. But you saw what you saw. You drink your coffee, pat his thigh, and watch the snow fall outside pretending you don't smell smoke. He's fine, you think. We are fine. Yeah, it's so much better when you read it out loud. 
It's so much better when you read it out loud. My the voice in my head sounds a little different, but okay. Get the audiobook. Get the audiobook, which will be out soon. This yeah. is true. Yeah. But that particular piece, mm -hmm. I felt like when I was reading Alive at the End of the World, and I've now read it a couple of times, mm -hmm. just once when I first got it, and then once, you know, you sort of switch your gears when you're packing sure. for something like uh -huh. this. This collection feels looser in ways than Prelude to Bruce. So, it too. feels a little less formal in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. I'm, I wasn't expecting the prose poetry, which was mm -hmm. great. And we're going to talk about that in a separate thing, because I think you're doing something there. But can we talk about the creation of this collection? I mean, did you sit down and did this become something that you sort of worked on end to end as a whole, intentionally or not? But was that sort of the vision sitting down and saying, OK, this is the moment for a new collection? Uh, a little bit in between. There, there, mm -hmm. were, a, there were a few poems that I wrote actually maybe towards the end of how, mm -hmm. how we fight for our lives. Um, a Memory, mm -hmm. A Stranger, uh, mm -hmm. two poems about my mom. So it makes sense that, that, that she would be on my mind at that time. Yeah, so there, there were like a handful, like I would say five or six poems that I already had that, you know, I, I see where my mind was waiting for me to arrive. Mm -hmm. um, but then I do think it's not, that's not snow, it's ash. Um, I remember, I think it was like a February morning. So it would have been February of 2020. Um, oh, wow. It was, it, was, it was snowing in Columbus, Ohio, where I live. Mm -hmm. Of course, it was right before the news. Right, right, right. No, which, which makes it even, of course, more haunting, you know. Yep. Um, but I do, I, th I think in part, it's the quiet heart of the book, because I do think it was the beginning of me acknowledging to myself that there was this preoccupation, this right. sense of something is off. I can't quite articulate it yet, but something mm -hmm. is off and I'm already scared. And why am I having an anxiety attack when we are fine? Mm -hmm. um, but then also, yeah, I mean, I, I think then you see the material begin to collate around it. And then the book happened very quickly. And you might notice from the notes, I mean, I often, when I can be honest, I'll say like, mm -hmm. I was writing, you know, this poem on this day last yep. summer. You know, I, I note that several times. So yeah, it did quickly kind of gather, and I think I realized that this book has kind of been coming at me for a few years now, I think it's fair to say. It feels, too, like Alive is absolutely in conversation with your memoir, How We Fight yes. for Our Lives, which, again, I had read early on, we picked it for the Discover program years ago, and 2019 feels like it was... <laughs> <laughs> it feels yeah. like we... Uh, 2019 is a really long time ago. But going back to it, it's so obviously a piece of Alive at the End of the World. Can yes. we talk about how that works for you? One, as, as a writer who comes to everything from poetry, but, you know, prose, and at some point you not have to choose, but, mm -hmm. you know, do you have to go all in on the memoir? Right. Um, then I think you realize that there are aspects of the same experiences that, if written with lyric in mind, are honored in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, all books and certainly all memoirs have fallout, whether it's family conflict or controversy or just you reckoning um, with the experience. I think what was interesting, one of the things that was interesting about publishing How We Fight for Our Lives is that I went on a, you know, a major national book tour mm -hmm. right before the pandemic. And so, you know, I'm journeying, I'm out in the country, you know, meeting people everywhere. They're coming up to me talking about their grief. They're coming up to me talking about nights where they almost mm -hmm. didn't walk out of rooms alive. They're talking to me about their mothers, their grandmothers, their first crushes, their mm -hmm. bullies. 
Um, and then everything stops. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm home alone. Right. Just sitting <laughs> with all of those feelings while, you know, a pandemic and, and mass violence, gun violence, police brutalities, all these things are kind of swirling yeah. around me. So I think Alive, and, and, it, and it's interesting even just to see the titles. Prelude yeah. to Bruise, you know, my first book wrote, started in my mid-20s, you know, very mm -hmm. much a young person wrecking with coming of age, how we fight for our lives. There's more confidence there. Like now I think I've got something to share with you about mm -hmm. how we make it to the next day. And then you fight for your life. And then the reward is that you get to live to be alive at the end of the world. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> it is a prize. It is a prize. This is not where I expected the world right. to be. Right. I will say that this is you know, what's that old canard? You make plans and the universe laughs, right. whatever that is. And this is a book full of that kind of laughter. Uh, but here's the thing. I appreciate the laughter because who would have thought that this would be our day to day? I mean, right. this nothing, no one can prepare for no. what the last few years have looked like. And and I'm going back to 1819. Right. Like we're, we're going pre-pandemic. And arguably, Pre the, the, the more um, committed you are to those blueprints, mm -hmm. to those rights, to those, this is what they told, those manuals, mm -hmm. the harder, I think, all of this is. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Without so you a to doubt. So you had to laugh. And also, frankly, I would rather laugh at the bleak stuff than let the bleak stuff put me under a table in the fetal position. Mm. Because that's, I don't know if that's being... A former Bostonian, because <laughs> you kind of have to laugh at everything. Or if it's simply just something that comes with time, because I would rather be part of what's around me right. than, I mean, it's why I read. Mm -hmm. I read so I can have my brain blow up. I read so I can understand mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sometimes other people, not always, but I just, I would rather be part of a world. And that's what you're doing with the poems. You are building worlds with poems. And I don't think... Every reader comes to poetry thinking, oh, this is world building. I think in many ways, there are plenty of folks who are just kind of like, well, it's science fiction. Of course, that's, right. you know, world building uh -huh. or you're doing historical fiction and that's world building. But I would argue that the physical act of writing, whether it's prose or poetry, is world building. Yeah. You're creating a space um, or a landscape. I mm -hmm. mean, I think with my first poetry collection... With Prelude to Bruise, I mean, there was, a, I mean, I, and I, I had it charted. Mm. I, there's a literal map that you journey across the yeah. book. You can, you can feel the characters moving, you know, across a nation, really, as he's, as he's kind of coming into himself and, and, and trying to outrun mm -hmm. himself. In Alive at the End of the World, I mean, because it is about collabs, I think right. it was more about establishing that sense of spaces as they're eroding, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, literally, in you know, it's the um, it's the 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 science, the the AI lab yeah, yeah. that is pristine, but like it's like morally corroding. <laughs> like as the poem progresses, and like we move into the implication, yep. or um, a character who refuses to leave home and is clearly really suffering as right. a result of that. Yeah, so changing the relationship to our space. Changing the relationship, but also when you look at things like AI, I take every opportunity I can to remind people that AI is programmed by people. Right. It's deeply and it's, human. Right. And it's not mm -hmm. just something that like sort of wanders out of the mm -hmm. ether. The robot can't read that your hands are under the sink. The water doesn't turn on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
it is really like it, happens. Comes, it, happens a it lot. totally happens, <laughs> it happens and lot. that's why I'm yeah. using it as an example yeah. because if the robot can't read mm-hmm. that you're there and it's not the robot's fault exactly right yeah exactly yeah. well you do have a poem that I was not expecting this this whole Japanese right AI <laughs> poem a Fado poor little Fado I want to talk about the structure of that more than mm-hmm. the AI itself, because I feel like yeah. we just talked about sort of the, the thrust of the thing, mm-hmm. but it's a different structure for you. If mm. anyone who's read Prelude to Bruise, you keep to a very, very sort of classical formal structure. And, and tone. I think yeah, like absolutely the tone. Is, absolutely. Is it like, is it like, is, is the actual form in my writing in <clears> length <throat> verse or, you know, or there's a scene as no, but there's a, there's a little bit more of a, buttoned up yeah which is interesting because the the themes are yep hot heavy wild you know lurid at times um whereas this this is much more this is unplugged yeah this is you know like and i I think i even allude like at one point um at the end of the short story the end of the book you Mm -hmm. know the the narrator says you know and a field full of wildflowers that at some point i would have been able to name whereas in this book it's like hydrangeas and you know like you're you know it's this book this person doesn't have time to kind of totally lean into like the artifice and the opulence of, you know what I mean? There, there are gestures, there are moments, but this person is like exhausted, at times rushed, um, out of his mind. <laughs> there are formal leaps in terms yeah. of how the poems present. Mm-hmm. Poems are on their sides. There's a poem just of alternate titles. There's a short story that I think as you, when you first encounter it, you might rightly think, why is Said ha- opening with a personal essay so early in the book? And then, you know, like, you know, so playing with form, but in, in a different way, because even amidst, I think, the the disarray of the apocalypse, there's still architecture. We're, even in real time, we're building and disbuilding. It may be dysfunctional. It may be violent, but we're building something. You know, it's not like right now in the United States, however you think about our democracy, we still have one. Yep. It's still what it is. Mm-hmm. Is it working? Is it healthy for us? No, but look what we've built in right. the last few years. Yeah, but that's isn't the that form. isn't that human nature though to build? I mean, isn't that what we do? Think about yeah. it. First human thing we ever did was tell stories, right? right? That's building. Yeah, which is yeah, like it's building the community. Story. It's building history. Yeah. It's building yeah. like, telling stories. I mean, reading, and I've said this before on the show, but I do believe there are people who think reading is a very passive thing, and I'm like, right. oh. No, you bring a lot to whatever you're reading, and that makes the experience different for every Mm -hmm. single reader. And then, so maybe that, and so maybe that's really what's interesting in this way about the form of the poem about Mm -hmm. the robot, because it's written um, in five sections as Mm -hmm. a bedtime story, which we we see bedtime stories kind of appear a few times throughout the, the the book, and but each iteration of the story is darker, more disturbing. I wouldn't say necessarily closer to the truth because I think that's very cynical, but mm-hmm. but there's something, you know, it goes from being like, oh, like, oh, this is a modern Pinocchio to like a, oh, this is about human cruelty. This is about suffering. And then the structure, I think, points to all of our stories are not um, altruistic. It's right. not all noble or even moral. Sometimes, of course, we use our stories to manipulate to inflict and uh, i i think if i had if you had a name i'd name you off is is a good example of that 
But that's what language is for. Language is to wrestle with all. Right. And we've seen you do it on the page in the memoir. Mm -hmm. I went back to it very, very recently again, prepping for this. And I'm still amazed by how much you were willing to put on the page. And I think part of mm -hmm. that was you were young when you were writing this book, but also it needed to be done. You sure. needed to say to these other people who were, you know, regardless of whether or not they share your exact mm -hmm. demographic statistics, this book is going to reach a lot of people mm -hmm. who need this voice. Mm -hmm. They need the representation. They need to know that they're not alone. They need to know that they've mm -hmm. been through similar things. There are a couple of people who show up in this book that I would be perfectly happy to punt into the Hudson River <laughs> like and watch them it. float away. Um, but, you know, we, we don't do that. That's rude. But I've thought about it. And to see the shift from Saeed of Prelude to Bruise mm -hmm. into Saeed of How We Fight for Our Lives to now alive at the end of the world you're getting looser as you write yes you're getting looser you're getting yeah. anyone who follows you on social knows what your handles are you're getting a little more ferocious about the whole thing and, and being am. and it's yeah. really fun to see yeah it's really fun oh, and good. you've done so <laughs> many different things and you know there was the whole buzzfeed stuff and the the whole video show that you guys were mm -hmm. doing that am to dm and whatnot um but to see you settle into mm -hmm. A more mature Saeed has been really fun to Thank watch. You. But it does come out of a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And I think, you know, sometimes uh, to to pull off work that feels of the moment, that mm -hmm. feels loose, that feels candid, and uh, mm -hmm. actually does probably take a lot more writing yeah. um, and, and, and a lot more, I, I, almost like the pre-writing, pre-living. Because yep. you, have to, you have to be able to get yourself to that idea and to a relationship with that idea while also protecting a certain flow. Right. And with the book also, it was like, how, how, do, I, how do I embody this candor? How do I establish this relationship with the reader where they go, oh, this is a different kind of Saeed, but it doesn't look like an accident. It's not mistakes. You know, if they're mm -hmm. repetition or if a poem like um, That's Not Snow is Ash ends mm -hmm. with a comma, it ends mid-sentence. What do I need to do so that when Miwa gets there, she doesn't go, ooh, what's up with the copy editing? You know, like she goes, oh, wow. Yeah. That was a new kind of challenge. I think maybe posture, form, invoking, you know, Greek myths, which are really mm -hmm. important to Prelude to Bruise, you know, drawing from like the Euro-Western tradition is perhaps related a bit to a kind of insecurity, a, a desire to say, I'm in, I understand the canon, right. I... And this book feels very much, you know, drawing from like the Black Saints is what I, I think of, you know, Whitney Houston, Paul Mooney, Little Richard, Luther Vandross, almost my own canon, my yep. own tradition, uh, my own history to make sense of what's happening now. I'm not going back to Homer necessarily. I'm like kind of trying to create create a new, I don't know, a new lineage um, because I, I, I feel that we've been betrayed by our, our presented histories. Presented histories is probably the best description I've heard of where we are mm. as a country right now. There's so much manipulation of story. There's an unwillingness to sit with the things that make you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And it's not just because of the pandemic and it's sure. not just no. because of where mm -hmm. politics are or anything like that. We are in this sort of collective moment where escapism and 
no disrespect to escapism. Right. It has a time its place. For it. yes, yes. Oh, it has its place. And there are times I have read some things recently that have been wild and fun. But you can also get a little bit of substance in there, too. Sure. It doesn't all have to be escapism. When I look at what you're doing, I'm wondering, though, how much of it is informed by place? Because here you are, you're born in Memphis, mm -hmm. you spend your childhood in Texas, mm -hmm. you end up at school in Kentucky, mm -hmm. then you're on the East Coast, you're in New York for the bulk of it, and now you're in Columbus. Mm -hmm. And it feels like you're getting a little softer, for all, <laughs> but in all the right ways, yeah, yeah. in all the yeah. right ways. I mean, this is not something that we often get to talk about in terms of masculinity, in terms mm -hmm. of queerness, because you do, you're in a position where you need to protect yourself. Right. In many cases, you were not safe mm -hmm. in the places you were. So now I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh, is that part of it, though? Is Columbus part of it? Is it we're living in this very strange moment and yet it's possible mm -hmm. for you to be a little softer and a little gentler with mm -hmm. yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the Saeed, the, the voice, the narrator of these poems, um, I think it's interesting. I think part of the reason he's approaching the subjects the way he does is that he is more tender. Mm -hmm. He's more vulnerable and um, he's listening to himself mm -hmm. more. I mean, that, that was kind of part of it. And, 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 you know, the, how we fight for our lives alive at the end of the world. Part of the idea is that this is, the af this is about the afterlife of grief. The 10-year anniversary of my mother's death was um, last summer, May 2021. And so what does it mean to be 10 years from a personal apocalypse? Right. You know, I, I, and, and, and of course, I, I said in the book, but it was true, you know, I, I remember very vividly thinking before my mom was sick, before, you know, I was like in graduate school, you know, mm -hmm. years before. And I would say, you know, if, if anything ever happened to her, it would be the end of my world. It right. just would. And then, and then something happened to her and it was the end of my world. Right. And so 10 years later, into that kind of loss, into that kind of transformative relationship, it doesn't end. It just, it changes significantly. Now I'm surrounded by millions, millions of people who of course, have, and honestly, not just one loss. I mean, many people have lost, you know, so many things mm -hmm. and not, you know, it's just, it's overwhelming and, and, and humbling. And so I think this Saeed um, was trying to reckon with the frequencies he could hear because of his own experiences, mm -hmm. you know, the things he was tuned into, you know, mm -hmm. that, that's the like, that's not snow, that something's wrong. And I know what it feels like when something's wrong, you know, um, black ice, you know, that sense of sitting, the black kids sitting in the classroom and it's like something else is going on here and, and my white classmates aren't picking up on it. Why would the black kid hone into it? Well, because he has a different relationship right. to white supremacy. And then you're surrounded by the calamity. And, and so I, I think out of that, it was like, okay, how does this speaker enter the space? Um, and I think, yeah, it's very different. It's very like, you know, the, 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 the Saeed, the boy in Prelude to Bruise would have, I don't, I, I don't even want to know actually how he would take on this because he was, you know, um, very isolated and isolating. Yeah. Um, and this Saeed, though he, he puts up a strong face, um, deeply wants to connect. I think that's clear. I think there's also a lot to be said for getting older, getting a little mellower. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you could argue it's technically growing up, but <laughs> I, that's a phrase that I just, I find that phrase problematic. I really do. I just, to see the evolution of the language and to see 
that they're still thematically, I mean, obviously the three books are connected mm -hmm. completely. I mean, they're not just by you, but the ideas and, and, and the work that goes into them. But Alive, it writes into the silences in a way mm. that you didn't necessarily with the earlier books. And, and I, the silences and the secrets, I, and I've been playing with this idea for a little bit only because obviously there's so much about secrets in the memoir. Right. And breaking through and, you know, obviously secrets and silences go hand in hand. But the idea that you're pushing into that space and saying, hey, wait a minute. No, we're going to talk about all the things we right. didn't really talk about, but we're going to do it in a way that's accessible. And I think that's really important. I think there are still people who are just like, oh, poetry. Ah, terrifying. Right. Like, what do I do with this? And it's like, well, if you listen to music, you actually. Yes, I have a great relationship with poetry. Right? Most people do. They're right. Just... What do you define as poetry? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and also, you know, it's kind of like what I was saying about like presented histories. What are right. our, what's our presented understanding of poetry? I mean, you know, for many Americans, the most contemporary poets they might, for people in their 30s and 40s, actually, I don't know what, I think actually the kids might be getting some new stuff and I love that for them. Right, right, right. Because right. I meet, you know, middle school students and they're talking to me about Jason Reynolds and Denise Smith and Morgan Parker. And I'm yep. like, okay, I love that. Yep. When I was in school, I will say the closest poets, I mean, it, it was like Audre Lorde. Yep. And, we, and she wasn't even taught. She was on a test. Yep. So she was at the end. But I mean, we didn't get to learn about her life. And, I, you know, that sent me running to the library. Mm -hmm. um, Sylvia Plath and Sexton, like that generation. Yep. So the, that's like bumping up against the, the 50s and 60s. And then otherwise, but, and then, and then, but you're taught that the greats are Emily Dickinson, Walt Whitman, um, and, and, and Shakespeare, you right. know, and, 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 and that it, there, there is such richness mm -hmm, there. Mm -hmm. But the problem is the idea that's pushed upon us is that that's where it begins and ends. And, and, and as you said, even then, I mean, hell, let's go back to the 60s. Let's talk about folk music. Let's talk about stand-up comedy, you know, kind of as, as a form that was developing and certainly draws from from slam poetry, mm -hmm, from folk mm -hmm. poetry, you know, it's just when we limit it, then yeah, of course we don't see ourselves in it. And um, yeah, so it's exciting to, I think, write in a way that is, I hope it feels welcoming. I hope it feels inviting. I hope people quickly realize it's a trap <laughs> because pretty consistently what's happening is that I'm kind of reeling yeah. you in and then, and then all hell breaks loose. Um, you know, there's, the Dead Dozens, <laughs> so it's kind of pulling from the tradition of the, the Dozens and the yeah. Yo Mama jokes, you know, where people go, oh, okay, and then, and then it's where those, those jokes go is pretty astounding, and it was really fun to write, because I, it, even for myself, it was like using, this, using the Dozens as a tradition, right, for right, example, right. as opposed to the sonnet. Look what it did to me. Look what mm -hmm. it got me to say. I mean, mm -hmm. where it ends is wild. <laughs> And I love that. I love that. I think, for me, the joy of the book is that part of what you're seeing that you don't see in my other work is a, a deeper relationship with humor yep. and with Black history than I think I've gotten to embody in my writing. And it, it came out of desperation, you know, this moment. Like, I felt like I had to, where do I go to, like, actually, mm -hmm. for solace? And it was that deep well of black laughter mm -hmm. of black humor of laughing to keep from crying and from again like tapping into a deeper lineage and 
there was something really comforting about spending time with, you know, because I did a lot of research for the poems that are about these historical figures. Right. And to think of someone like Diane Carroll, you know, who I feel is elegance embodied. Yep. Like American elegance, mm-hmm. period. You know, her her picture should be in the in the dictionary next yep. to the word. And and to see like how angry, just disgusted she was with with her treatment, mm-hmm. with the role she was having to play. She hated Los Angeles because to her, Los Angeles was about Hollywood and Hollywood rejected her because she was black, which is why she loved New York and she right. loved the stage. And and so to go to use like an elegant figure like her, I mean, I couldn't even imagine her without a fur coat and pearl necklaces and her just being like, mm-hmm. you know, let the chopper spray. It's just, it's incredible. And um. I don't know. I think it helped me feel less alone, which is what I always want for myself and and hope for readers, too. Let's talk about your reading life for a second. I mean, Mm. I know you mentioned doing research for this book. Yes. But research and reading life are not the same thing. They're very, very different. Thank you for distinguishing. (laughs) They are not the same thing. And I say this as someone who produces two to three episodes of a show every week. Not the same same thing. So I want to talk about Saeed. As a reader, okay, I want to uh, talk about what makes your heart sing, what makes what you reach for first, what you reach for when you're in a bad mood, what you try to do when you're just reading. I don't think I read for pleasure very much. I mm-hmm. think even when I think I am, <laughs> there, there's there's a hidden agenda. Yeah, and I and I have to I have to own that. Lately, I, I, biographies I, uh-huh. have been fascinating, and forgive me because I'm about to forget a bunch of wonderful authors' names. But Furious Cool is a biography of Richard Pryor, written by two brothers. It was incredible, mm-hmm. um, and and I realized it was it was the kind of biography I want. Where of course it's about Richard Pryor, but it's Richard Pryor also as a mirror of what's going on in America. So yeah. like his upbringing, it's like I learned. So much more about vaudeville, for example, and and the comedy circuit in Illinois when he was a kid, right. through him, you know, which I, I I didn't expect, and really the the, the lineage of you know learning about like Dick, like how Dick Gregory gets us yep. to Richard Pryor yep. and all that. I just thought it was just really really astounding. Um, so that I think the pleasure of what comforts me connecting dots. Yeah. And I go, oh, so yeah. that's how we got. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that why? You mm-hmm. know, like that is a, um, an exciting feeling for me. Um, what else am I reading right now? The Heads of the Colored People by Nafisa Thompson oh, Spires. That is a great collection. Love her. Love those that stories. That is a great collection. Um, yeah, and she's interesting because I feel like she's a, she is a formalist. Yeah. Uh, kind of, she's interested mm-hmm. in that, right? Like, you know, like an epistolary short story. Like mm-hmm. all the stories kind of, at least, you know, the, the ones that I'm really gravitating toward have this interest with form and upending expectation and, um, ni- you know, upending niceties and turning them into like absurd. <laughs> I wish people who have no problem scrolling on their phones mm. would understand that you can do a lot in a short story and really blow right. your mind. and. You know, well, short stories yeah. are having a moment where some work and people get excited. I mean, Disha Filia, hello. I mean, mm-hmm. but I just, I wish more people would come to stories. Well, you know, my thing is, I, I, 
short stories are poems. I, mm-hmm. I, I think there's a very similar, yeah. you know, where people are like, oh, do people read short? It's like the same issue. What do you consider a short story? Right. Like, what is your relationship? Who are the the names that are being celebrated mm-hmm. when you're in hearing range? And what are you being known, made known that's available? You know, um, a lot of really great short stories defy easy categorization. Mm-hmm. I love that. I like the slipperiness of a good short story, right? you know? Right. Um, but, you know, and, and for the same reason, I think I, I love poems. And so, yeah, I don't know. But... Part of me is tired trying to drag people to water, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, just, it's just like, I need to, I'm dehydrated myself. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost like, if you know, you know, yeah. there's great stories out there, you know? <laughs> Part of why I bring it up, though, is it's a form that you play with in Alive at the End of the World. Yeah. And I'm so happy that, of course, you made the point about poems being intertwined with short mm-hmm. stories and mm-hmm. and but this idea that you're speaking to yourself and the fact <laughs> that you may have accidentally written a second memoir <laughs> we need to talk about this Saeed we need to talk about accidentally writing a second oh, memoir yeah, ha- we've all been there yeah. we've all accidentally written a second memoir <laughs> uh, yes writers have booksellers try not to <laughs> fair fair some booksellers do. <laughs> I am not one of those people. But no, no, let's let's talk about this for a second. Because okay. again, you're writing this. Lockdown has happened. You're right. in Columbus. Mm-hmm. We're all sort of standing on our heads, not mm-hmm. knowing what's next or, or what's happening. And here you are, as you say in the story, walking into your apartment from a business trip with dragging your suitcase behind mm-hmm. you. And there you are on the sofa. There's a me waiting for me on the sofa. <laughs> Okay, one, yowza. <laughs> yowza. And I initially think it's a dead body. Yeah. I think it's a dead me waiting for me on the yeah. couch when I get okay. home from a trip. Yeah. I mean, so it, it, the story started, I mean, well, one, it started with mischievousness. I, right. I was always, you know, again, just being like, how can I, just when I think the reader is comfortable, yeah. how can I flip it again? Because that's what it is. Like, we, get, we don't kind of get time to fully process mm-hmm. before there's another mass shooting, there's another you know, disastrous aspect right. of, of climate um, catastrophe. Um, but two, it was it was lockdown. It was thinking about, you know, I mean, it was very reasonable. It was very important to and responsible to isolate. But also, you know, how do you begin to move out right. of that space? Right. Um, and then also like grief. And, and, and there's a line at, at some point in the book where I say, you know, I made a home out of how much I missed you. Um, and there's no one here to tell me I should leave. Um, and so th- this this idea that, again, 10 years, you know, like you can't, I don't think it's healthy. I think it's healthy to embrace grief, to to yeah. let it out. But you do have to move on. You, the relationship does have to change. Mm-hmm. You do have to be willing to be vulnerable again, to possibly love someone else as much as you've loved the person you've lost. And and so I thought it was he- important um, in this book about the afterlife of grief to actually show me yeah. kind of doing this work. And so, yeah, I had this idea of this person who ends up in this situation where they just don't want to leave the house because for them, leaving the house is about vulnerability. Right. It's about putting your pain out there and having people kind of poke and prod and make demands mm-hmm. upon it. And I was like, oh, how interesting. What if he was able to sit with himself mm-hmm. for a little while? And what would happen if Saeed came home from a trip and there was Saeed <laughs> 
made out of his pain, waiting mm-hmm. on the couch, just like, oh, hi. Mm-hmm. Oh, hi. Mm-hmm. You know? And initially, I, you know, because I, I, I love science fiction. And so I yep. think initially I was like, okay, this is obviously going to be like an ex machina. <laughs> one of two enter, one leave, you know, like, which actually does kind of happen. One, a little you know, bit. Two enter, one, two. But I, I was thinking of a, like a sinister kind of, yeah. almost like the poem at the beginning with the robot, you know, yep. kind of. Where and but this is the end of the book. I need to push us toward catharsis. I need yeah. to think about what are the, the 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 wisdom that we can acquire. And I thought it was actually more important for this speaker to be given an opportunity to safely express himself, which is I know a bit odd because we're writers. I am a writer. I express myself all the time to a certain extent, but that's mm-hmm. not the same. That's not the same as, you know, speaking in front of an audience, right. the Q&A, the people you don't know. They haven't had to share anything with you, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they know now, you know, some of the most intimate details of your life. And so what would that space look like for this person who could just really say what he what's what's clearly been weighing on him? I mm-hmm. mean, he's, he is in pain. He is suffering. You know, he's put on a brave face and he's cracking jokes constantly to kind of deflect and distract. Um yeah, I, I love the story. I'm glad you like it. It's... Oh, I think it's great. I think it's completely great. But I also, I love the idea behind it mm. and the execution. It's not, sometimes you fall in love with an idea and you're like, oh, I see where you're going. Uh, okay, got it, got it. But this, it's the perfect combination of idea and execution. Thank and it's you. just, it's an absolute delight. But here you are, and these books are what? This was 16? 20, Prelude to Bruce? Yeah. 24. 14. Okay, so 2014, 20, so eight years between them. Mm-hmm. Wow. You're recording them at the <laughs> yeah. So and you're recording them at the same moment. Right. Obviously, you are not. We have we have firmly established you are not the same person for these mm-hmm. two collections. But what did you learn about your work and yourself as you're recording these two audiobooks? I mean, this site is more settled in his body. Yeah, he's he's it's the the looseness is and and it is from from a sense of freedom. Yeah, um, a sense of ease and confidence like i mean you know all hell is breaking loose but i know who i am this yep. this isn't a um a saeed who's unsure about that and prelude to bruise is very much about someone who feels unsure who mm-hmm. feels which me am i supposed to be right, right now what 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 me am i supposed to wear to get you to love me or to get you to not hurt me which is why prelude to bruise you know i needed to create an avatar because it, I mean, that is, and where the book goes, I mean, is it, it goes to some pretty horrific, mm-hmm. horrific places. Um, and so even in the writing, I think I needed an avatar. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a character named Boy. It's not actually me, even on the page, to create a bit of distance. Um, but I will say, in re- I was still, like, astounded by the pain, you know? Yeah. It's, it's really heartbreaking and... And I remember, I mean, it's what animates this book, um, Prelude to Bruise. You know, I would finish a poem and be like, what happens? Oh, no. Where did, what did I just, where, <laughs> what did I just, you know? And so I would I almost always, like, at least start the next poem because I, I was worried. Like, it was right. almost like I wanted to jump into the page. Mm-hmm. And, and I was surprised, I think, earlier this summer recording the audio book, how potent that feeling yeah. still is. I think... That struck me a lot, like the the need, the deep need. Where's this this person? Does it? I don't know. I mean, of course, it's closer. It's closer and more recent. So it would yeah. be interesting eight years from now to be. But this person isn't exactly like, please. <laughs> no, <laughs> please no. I mean, 
one of the things I appreciate too is these playing with these sort of sci-fi tropes, as mm-hmm. it were. I mean, black and brown people in America, the amount of wearing of masks that happens, right. wouldn't it be nice to be able to walk around and not feel? Right. I mean, that would be delightful. Which is really maybe part of what he's writing. He's <laughs> like, I, I, it wouldn't, you know, just to check out or to just send another version of yourself yeah. out there. Yeah. Even with Prelude to Bruise, even before the memoir, the grief, rightfully so, the grief was center stage. Yeah. And now it feels like grief can be experienced as the thing that ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. And it is true. I mean, when it first happens, it is the worst thing that has ever happened. Like, it, it just, it's such a visceral moment in any person's mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. when you just get hit by the thing that you mm-hmm. really don't ever want to have happen. But with time, it doesn't hold you hostage in the same it way. Hold you- it doesn't have to. Yeah, it doesn't have it's to. wild. Yeah. It's like the, I think with Alive at the End of the World, it's a bit of, it's like the floodwaters are finally receding. Yeah. And if you've ever seen, uh, you know, a, a community mm-hmm. after, a, it's it's actually, it's pretty gross. You yeah. Know, there's a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. You know, what can be salvaged? How do we begin to rebuild? I mean, you know, and so I think, yeah, that is the work of this site. It's not coming into age. It's, well, what now? Yeah. Okay, I, I, I've, I'm finally settling into the realization I need to move on. What now? Before I let you go, though, mm-hmm. I do want to plug a project of yours that I am so personally invested in. You have a podcast coming I up do. called Vibe Check. Vibe Check. And by the time this show airs, okay. Vibe Check will have been on the air oh, okay. for a couple yeah. of weeks. I love it. Because this is tied into the pub date, so we're yeah. taping this in August. Vibe Check is a new a weekly news and culture podcast that you can get wherever you get your podcasts, mm-hmm. wherever you listen. Um, with me, Sam Sanders, and Zach Stafford. We're three friends um, who've, who've known each other for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, it's always been a delight because the three of us have always been in media, sometimes working together, sometimes coming right. together for interviews. Mm-hmm. You know, Sam, when he was hosting It's Been a Minute, would have me on or have Zach on. And We'd always like, like, wouldn't it be nice if we would do something together? And but you know, the timing was never right. Right. Busy people are busy people. Um, but then the pandemic happened, and the group text, as I think, became true for many of us. Oh yes. The needs <laughs> changed, yes. and it really became like, you no, know, how are you actually doing? Mm-hmm. Like, we can keep kicking and sending memes, but like, how are you doing? Do right. you need anything? Right. Became the conversation, and that was really important. And I think you know, even as Black queer men. We still have that work to do with vulnerability as yeah. well. It may be different. And um, so out of that, we just like kind of kept talking and kept talking. And then it was like, wait, this is the podcast. Vibe yeah. check. This, this is what it is. And so it's about news and culture and how it all feels. You know, so we're not here to explain, you know, to walk you through the FBI raid and read yeah. you, yeah. you know, that. No, it's about like, well, how does it feel for there to be a raid on the the resident of the former U.S. president. And right. Did you ever think something like this would happen? What are your expectations? You know, I think we're getting, and it feels very much connected to kind of the ideas in Alive at the End of the World. You know, you're getting all this stuff thrown at you constantly. Mm-hmm. And then you're sitting in the quiet, those quiet mornings where you're like frozen, you know, and you feel isolated, kind of abandoned by mm-hmm. conversation. And so the, the hope is that you feel brought in and we're going to laugh and we're going to be smart together. And what I really like is we're keeping it simple. So we're only talking about two subjects each episode um, because we really want time to talk about them. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Maybe change our minds, maybe persuade one another. You know what I mean? Like, I just, 
I just feel like I'm not naming names, but a lot of podcasts where it's like people are just waiting to talk. Mm-hmm. They're not really listening. They don't think of conversation as an art like any other, you mm-hmm. know, form. I giggle sometimes when I think about like, you know, I'm like, man, right now, Beyonce, she's walking around and she's got like a laptop full of music videos and music. Like, will we ever get to, you know, like she must just be chuckling to her. And lately, that's how I felt. Just like walking around like mm-hmm, listening to this lovely little podcast. I'm so excited. I also love the idea that it's the three of you. Yeah. And this just this idea of being able to parse through what is happening mm-hmm. in the moment and give us context. Yes. I think what we've been missing so, so many of us have been missing is the context because we're not willing to expand beyond the thing mm-hmm. that makes us uncomfortable. And I love the idea that weekly you guys will be in our ears saying, did you notice? Mm-hmm. Did you notice? Because that to mm-hmm. me, is why we read. It's why you write. It's, it's the context. It's the connecting the dots. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. the best part of all of this. Right. Saeed Jones, I love you to bits. You know this. <laughs> Alive at the End of the World is out now. This is the best thing ever. I adore you. <laughs> I adore you. Thank you. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. The show is available on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts.